All right, Daniel, let's just get straight to the point. For those who are listening, if you did not catch U Sports men's or women's basketball this past weekend, you bricked. You bricked. Daniel knows it. I know it. The players know it. The people who actually watched this past weekend know it. If you did not watch U Sports men's and women's basketball this past weekend, you bricked. But you know what? It's okay, though. That's why we're here. To bring you up to speed, let you know everything that happened, and just have a conversation about it. So let's get straight into it. What's up, everybody? My name is Deshaun Stevens. It's your boy, Darren Noel. And welcome to one of the final episodes of the Ballin' Up podcast, the show where we talk about university ball up here in Canada. Daniel, we have so much to unpack. The last week, I feel like, has been more, there's been more action over the last week than there has been over the last, like, six months. So much to unpack. We got all Canadians to talk about. We got award winners to talk about. We got the final eight to talk about. We got the national championship games to talk about. Where do you want to start? Yeah, I think we got to, I think we got to start with the first team and second team, all Canadians, because, you know, we got to start from Thursday, the award ceremony and move day by day. But um, let's get into the first teams. I agree with you. Let's get into it. Let's talk about the men's all Canadian list first. And let's start with the first team. On the first team, we have Thomas Kennedy, who was also named U Sports Player of the Year. We got Diego Mafia, the uh, Canada West MVP. We got Elijah Miller, the AUS MVP. We got Cole Sillis. And we got Aiden Warnholtz. On the second team, we have Mason Borsi, Twin Trainee Western. We have Simon Hildebrandt, a rookie, a rookie as an all-Canadian from Manitoba. We got David Moinkat, the Defensive Player of the Year for U Sports. We got Jean Pepin from Ottawa. And we got Sidney Lacombe from Laval, an RCQ player on that list. Daniel, let's talk about this list. What are your thoughts? Yo, first things first, like, I think the first team, they did it right with the first team. I'll be honest with you. I think they did it right based on, you know what, just production and what you did throughout the season. I think they got it right with the first team. Second team, you know, can't really agree. Can't really disagree much there. I did. I do think that, you know what, another OUA player could have been on the list. You know, maybe Arian Sharma from Western. You know what? Second leading scorer in all all the country. So maybe we could have put him on there. But again, when you look at the list, it was like, who do you take off, though? Mason Bruce is like that CBL guy. He can get you a triple-double any night. We're not going to take off, you know, Hildebrandt for what he did with Manitoba. He really turned that program around. I think next year is going to be even more exciting to see what that Manitoba program can do. Muenkat, we don't even got to go into him. Same thing as Guillaume Pepin. And, you know, shout out to Sydney Tremblay Lacombe as well, too, for reaching that second team all-star as well. Talk about Arian Sharma from Western. You said second leading score in the nation. But you you already know, you and I both know, the reason why he's not on this list is because he wasn't even an OUA all-star. Right? And I think I'm pretty sure that the criteria for being named an all-Canadian is you got to be named an OUA all-star first or a conference all-star first. I ain't going to get into that. I don't think we should get into that because that's a slippery slope, right? <laughs> that's a slippery slope. Uh, but you got to be an all-star first before you can get named All-Canadian. But I agree with you. I think the first team is spot on. I wouldn't want to change this in any way, shape, or form. You got the five best players in the country at each position from arguably the five best teams. I mean, there's no one from St. Effects in there. I mean, if there's one person that you could have maybe bumped into the first team, maybe it would have been David Moykat, but I don't know who you take out. I'm looking at the first team. I think this is looking good. 
I gotta say, shout out to Thomas Kennedy. I gotta say that was my pick to win OUA MVP, and he won OUA MVP, U Sports MVP as well. He's had such a dominant season. He's just been such a dominant player over the last number of years for this game. And so I think it's only right that he receives uh, the top honor in this nation for for a U Sports basketball men's player as he caps off his career. On the second team, I don't see who you could take out. I don't see who you could take out. Maybe Sidney Lacombe, but like, right? Like, is there really any evidence there to take him out? I think maybe people that have the RCQ bias that don't, you know, watch the RCQ might say that. But if you look at the stats, the stats are there. Jean Pepin has to be an All-Canadian. David Moycat has to be an All-Canadian. Same thing. Hildebrandt had an amazing season. And I don't, I don't think we should take away from that young man. And then Mason Borsi, I think, is someone that you and I both had all clean expectations for at the beginning of the season. Those are some players that we had uh, to look out for. It's actually funny. I'm pretty sure you and I both said Borsier, Moinkat, Thomas Candy were three players that people should look out for a couple months ago. I'm pretty sure we said that. Got to go back and check. Yeah, no, we did. We did. did, Right? First episode, Mason Borsier. Exactly. Right? So it's good to see uh, some of these names on this list. Let's switch over to the women's side. Let's talk about the first team all Canadian women's list. First, we got Sarah Gates. From McMaster, Carly Alstrom from Saskatchewan, Kiana Giles from Winnipeg, Year Goat, Haley McDonald from Acadia, and Aminikin Siciliano from Bishops. On the second team, we got Jade Belmore, Yazir, Julia Chadwick, we got Kiara Letlow, we got Callie Pockernick, and we got Bridget Lefevre Akonku from Ottawa. Daniel, talk to me about the all Canadians women's list. Yo, I just, I it didn't really sit well with me that Kiara Lutlow was on the second team for the second year in a row. And I feel like last year she deserved second team, but this year, like it's really hard to deny her stats and like what she's done. Like her production was insane. Like you said, top, top 10 in points, top number one in rebounds in the whole country. And she put on, like she really did put on like, no, she's the best rebounder in the country period. And I think given the right tools around her, a team can win the championship. I do think she deserved that first team all-star. Um, it's kind of hard to look at when you take it out, but if I were to take someone out, I'd probably take out Siciliano, realistically, because you have three guards on there with um, Giles, McDonald, Siciliano. If you swap, you know, Siciliano and Letlow, it looks right to me. But, like, also, too, after the tournament now, it's like, how do we really sit here and say Callie Pockernick is not the best point guard in the country? But, again, these awards came up before the final eight took place, so I can understand the thought process going into that as well too but um jay bowmore she deserved it as well too it's kind of sad that you know they didn't go to nas we didn't get to see them on the national stage but i'm really happy for her that she made that second team all-star because this is a player that you raved about from start to finish so you know congratulations on her and a good way to cap up the season this might sound weird but i feel like the first team is headlined by players that you've kind of picked up this season and the second team is headlined by players that i've picked up this season. This season, you've been all over Keanu Giles. You've been all over Haley McDonald and Carly Alstrom. And for me, I've been extremely huge on Jada Bellmore and Kiara and Kiara Letlow. I feel like the first and second team are almost our favorite players split up. One team was is your players and one team is my players. But I look at the first team, it's hard to argue against this team. It's really hard, hard to argue against this team. I'm making Cecilia, you know, uh, she won her third consecutive conference MVP this year. She's a three-time RCQ MVP. She is literally probably outside of Sarah Gates and Haley McDonald, the most accomplished player on this list, the most accomplished player in women's basketball in Canada at the university level. 
So it's hard to take her off the first team. But I look at Kiara Letlow, and again, you made the point of saying this list came out before the final eight. But anyone who watched that Carlton uh, Cape Breton game, they look at Kiara Letlow and they say that's a first team All Canadian. It's tough. And again, Callie Pockernick, again, after watching the final eight, how could you not say Callie Pockernick is the best point guard in this country? How could you not say when the lights are bright? And you, you need a point, you need a bucket, game on the line, national championship on the line. One of the people that you'd want to have the ball in their hands is Callie Pockernick. In general, though, they have the right players. Sarah Gates, though, we know that she deserves to be on the first team. That's the only person we know deserves to be there. And Carly Ostrom as well. I think this list is fine in terms of the players that are on this list. Can be subject to change of who goes where, but they got the 10 right players. I like both these all-Canadian lists in general, to be honest with you. I don't really see many players that got snubbed as all-Canadians. I think this is good to go. All right, let's put all Canadians in the past. I want to touch on something that you want to talk on briefly, and I'm going to give you some time to talk about it. Talk to me about your opinion on uh, the coach of the year winners or winner that you'd like to talk about. You know what? Shout out to Steph Barry and the program and culture that he's instilled at Queens. And, you know, it's great they had a good season, but I really think Craig Bucamp of UVic should have won Coach of the Year with what he did with that program. Like you and I said, UVic was like, you know what, in the regular season, they were the best-looking team. They were handling their conference. There was no one that we saw, you know, competing with them in the Canada West. Like, there was never once a time where it was like, you know what, maybe University of Alberta might compete with them. But, you know, they went 17-3, and and they won the Canada West. And now I understand – what Queens did, they still made it to Nats, but they didn't even make the conference um, final. You know what I mean? They didn't make the final. They didn't get an automatic bid. And if, like, they didn't get that bid, would you still give it to them based on what happened? I don't know if it's a regular season award or it's including playoffs as well, too. But if I'm including playoffs as well, I got to give it to Craig Buchan. And even in regular season as well, too. Like, they were just a top – they never left the top three this year once as well. So I think he kind of did get snubbed there, um, um, Craig Buchan from Coach of the Year. I would actually agree with you on that in terms of the award maybe being more deserving to someone else. In my case, I would actually go with Tyrell Burden for St. FX. I think St. FX had an amazing season. You've been high on St. FX. I've been pretty quiet on St. FX. But just to look at what they actually did this year, they were technically the most winningest team in the country regular season-wise in terms of their record. They were going to go to the Final Eight regardless because they were the host team. But they won their conference, earned their way to the Final Eight. They weren't given a berth in the Final Eight. They earned their way to the Final Eight. Right. And then you look at the run that they had throughout the final eight, which we'll talk about. Unbelievable. I would give it to Tyrell Vernon simply for what he did with that program. And especially the turnaround that program has had over the last few years. They've been building up to something. UVic, great program. I'm, I'm more of an underdog type of person. UVic has always been a powerhouse in Canadian university basketball. Right. Uh, but they had a great season, too. So even UVic, I said it last week, they look like the most complete team in the country. I look at Queens this year and I say, when I look at the story of the 2022-2023 Queens Gales, I'll always look back on a team that had the potential to do more but couldn't get it done when the lights were the brightest. That's what I'm going to look back on when I think about this team. This team was talented. You talk about Cole Sillis, Lucas Sillis, uh, Cameron Bett, list goes on. We knew that they were capable of being more. We knew they were capable of winning the conference. And at one point, we thought they were capable of winning a national championship. But when it mattered the most, this team took a decline. And I think one thing that really sums up the season of the Queens Gales this year, the most was final two minutes of their OUA semifinal game against Carlton, where they literally fell apart. You and I talked about, they were, they were back and forth with Carlton the the whole game. 
the whole fourth quarter, they were back and forth. Everyone's hitting big shots. In that fourth quarter alone, both teams combined for 56 points. And there were points in that game where you looked at Queens and you said, oh my gosh, this team has a chance to win. They have the potential to win. But when the lights were brightest in the final two minutes, they fell apart. And that's the story of the Queens Gales team 2022-2023. They fell apart when the lights were brightest. So my pick, coach of the year, I'll give it to Tyrell Vernon, but I agree with you. Could have went to either coach for UVic or coach for St. FX. I don't know if the, that coach from Queens was most deserving. I am agree with you on that. Okay, let's talk about the final eight. I said it before. We got a lot to unpack. I just want to talk briefly about things that shocked you from this tournament. What are some things that stood out to you the most from this tournament that made your jaw drop, that made your eyes open? Talk to me, Daniel. What stood out to you? Man, there's a lot. There's a lot. Because how many games do we even have in total this week? You're probably like 10-plus games. And, you know, like you got to be locked into every game. I didn't get to watch no consolation finals, so I'm not even going to mention that. But um, if I had to pick one, I think UQAM, you know, battling it out with Carlton and UQAM men's in that first round stuck out to me the most. I don't think anyone on, like, earth, you know, predicted that this was going to happen. I think everyone saw this as, you know what, Carlton's getting another easy, you know, run to the semifinals, finals again, you know. But um, shout out to Kevin Seville, man. He had 19 points that game. And I think that, you know what, UConn could have won this game if it came down to better shot selection. If they took better shots down the stretch in that last two minutes of the fourth quarter, they could have potentially won this game. But the fact that, you know what, they're even there as the number six seed, giving it to the national defending champions, you know, only losing by 273-71, I think that's sort of a lot about what the RESEQ is building in terms of basketball there because on the other side of the bracket in the women's side, the UConn women's also took Queens to overtime as well too. And Queens was a team that only lost one game in the regular season in the OUA. So I think shout out to that program again, man. I shouted them out last week as well, but they came to Nova Scotia and they put on a show for their province. And you know what? They, they never got beat badly. They're in every game. They competed hard. And I think you love to see that as a basketball fan. Last week, I was acting like I was shocked to see Uquam in the final eight, acting like they didn't belong, but they belonged. And you talk about the men's game. They were down by two with less than a minute remaining, and they had multiple opportunities to tie that game. And you talk about shot selection. That's exactly what it came down to. And I remember seeing a lot of people on social media saying, you're down by two. Why are you chucking up threes? Aside from maybe the final, which we'll talk about later, that was one of the moments where we saw Carlton on the ropes and we were like, whoa, is Carlton about to get bounced right now? Like, is Carlton actually about to get bounced right now? I look at the, I look at the UQAM. Is it UQAM or U- UCAM? I'll, University think- of Quebec. I look at the University of Quebec and Montreal <laughs> versus Carlton game, and I say the University of Quebec and Montreal lost that game. It wasn't that Carlton won that game. They lost that game. University of Quebec and Montreal lost that game because their shot selection. So I, I agree with you. Super shocked to see to see what both those programs kind of put together, right? You look at the women's side too. They beat a team that almost won a national championship. For my, what shocked me the most moment of the tournament, what I want to do is I want to take a moment to apologize to the UPEI Panthers. I want to take a moment to sincerely apologize to the UPEI Panthers because last week I came on this podcast and I made the assumption that this team was going to get whooped 
I made the assumption that because this team had lost by 50 points to St. FX in the AUS championship game, this team will get whooped in their first round game against Victoria. I went as far as saying that there was a possibility that this team, because they had lost to St. FX by 50, they could have lost by 60, 70, or even 80 to UVic. I would like to take a moment to apologize to UPEI because you know what they did? They showed up and they almost beat UVic. Elijah Miller showed up and had a near triple-double. 24 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. Kamari Scott showed up, had a near triple-double. 32 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, 1 steal. And it took Diego Mafia dropping 40 points. 40 points, including a game winner in the final 30 seconds to take down the UPEI Panthers. Oh, and Dominic Oliveri had to have 14 rebounds. That's what it took to take down the UPEI Panthers in what was arguably the most exciting game of the weekend on the men's side outside of the final. This team's legit. Or this team was legit. We don't know what they're going to be next year. But the 2022-2023 UPEI Panthers are legit. And the fact of the matter is this. Their loss to St. FX in the AUS final, that 50-point loss, it actually said more about St. FX than it did about UPEI. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a diss on UPEI that they lost by 50. It was more so that St. FX was just that damn good. Which, again, is something we came to realize. We'll get to that later. So I'd like to take this moment again to just offer my sincerest apologies to the UPEI Panthers. You guys are legit. You had an amazing season. You showed up on a national stage. You gave us one of the best performances that we had ever seen in the history of the Final Eight. At one point, I thought if UPEI wins this game, can they make a run to the championship? I don't want to seriously say I told you so, but like, yo, this UPEI team, like, they're no, they're no joke. You know what I mean? And like, I think any team that has the MVP on their team of their respective conference can never be counted out. And they're playing in the Maritimes. They had their fans come out, man. You've seen their fans. They're out there. They're, they're putting on. And also, too, I want to shout out, you know, Nova Scotia for being great hosts this weekend. They were great hosts. They set an attendance record over 40,000. That last finals game, the men's game, it looked like a, it felt like an NBA game where, you know, all the fans are there in the fourth quarter. They're getting up on their feet. It was great. I think it was great for the AUS basketball. It was great for U sports basketball because I think it really showed that, you know what, we can pack stadiums. We can do this. And I think it's gonna that's going to set a trend for more U sports finals to happen. But going back now to the UPI game, I think that, you know, this was honestly the best game outside of the finals. Um, I had to go back and rewatch it because I was like, this game was really intense. You know, you had MVP Diego Mafia and MVP Elijah Fisher just going back and forth with it. At, um, with it. And it kind of just shows me that, you know what, the play style in the AUS is very different from the play style in the Canada West. But no matter what, when they meet, it's just going to be a clash of like chess pieces between coaching. And you're really seeing good coaching come out this whole tournament because the play styles are different, like we said. You know, UPI doesn't have a great big like Oliveri down low, but they can they can run past you. They can, you know, shoot over you. So I think that's one thing that was really good about this game as well, too. One thing you talk about coaching. I got to highlight this. The 2023 U Sports Men's Basketball Final Eight was the first Final Eight in U Sports history where 50 percent of the teams were led by black head coaches. 50 percent. So we got Taffy Charles from Carlton. We got Darrell Glenn from UPEI. Mario Joseph from UCAM and Terrell Vernon from St. FX. 50% of the coaches in this tournament were black. That's a huge step forward for Canadian basketball, for Canadian university basketball, and for Canadian sports in general. Uh, so it, it's amazing to see that. Also have to mention uh, most of the teams in this tournament 
also had assistant coaches who were also minorities. And this was also the first, the first uh, final eight in U sports history where the broadcasting team, the English broadcasting team was comprised of, you know, people who were all black. Right. So I got to shout that out as well. Vincent Williams, who's an AUS broadcaster, as well as uh, Nate Philippe, who was uh, who used to coach at York as well as UCAM. So I think, Daniel, that's something you and I can kind of get inspiration from because we've been in the broadcasting with a couple of times as young black men. That means a lot to us and a lot uh, means a lot to other young black aspiring uh, broadcasters as well. So shout out to just everyone who's been involved in this back to your point about UPEI, you and I talked about this on the weekend. What we learned about watching San Effects and UPEI play basketball this past weekend against teams from other conferences is that AUS basketball is a bit different. It's a bit different in the sense that these AUS teams are, are scrappy. They're scrappy. They're, they got larger boys. They play harder. They play more physical. And then on top of that, they have the skills of other players in other conferences. It's almost equal across the board, right? So for example, David Moynkan, the AUS, from a skill standpoint, is just as comparable to Thomas Candy, the OUA. I think, again, that niche of AUS basketball is that they're physical, they're scrappy. And you said it on the weekend, you said the refs let them play a little bit more, right? And so I think that's where you kind of saw the difference in these AUS teams against some of these, you know, these teams from other conferences. One of the biggest reasons why UPEI had so much success against UVic is because they played such a physical game. Here's the thing. Diego Mafia was on against UPEI, right? He dropped 40. He did his thing. He looked like he could score however he wanted to, whenever he wanted to. But then when, when UVic ran to St. Effects, Diego Mafia had nothing. And so then they had to start relying on other people like Elias Ralph and Ronaldo Robinson to try and, you know, make up for, you know, Diego Mafia's absence. And then you brought it to my attention after the game, you said Diego Mafia had around 14, 15. And I said it was the quietest 14-15 I'd ever seen from him. Again, these AUS teams play so scrappy. And I think that's what makes AUS basketball so special. And then when you see these AUS teams step foot on the national stage and play against teams from other conferences who have smaller athletes, who don't play as physical, who, you know, get more calls and, you know, the refs don't let them play more. You see that difference. To your point about Halifax, shout outs to them because they did not disappoint. Those games were packed. Those fans were great. The atmosphere was amazing. And man, I wish that was on national TV because that was the type of product that deserved to be on national TV. I will say this though. I will say this to you sports. We got to do a better job of making sure the men's tournament and the women's tournament receive equal treatment. Equal treatment. Because you can agree with me or you can disagree with me, but listen, I'm going to say it. To see the men playing in the Scotiabank Center on a stage that looked beautiful on TV, that looked like a true basketball arena versus seeing the women play at the Sullivan Fieldhouse on campus at Cape Breton University look like it didn't have as many seats and looked like a smaller venue. To me, it just didn't look good. It just didn't look good. I think both the men and the women are deserving of playing on an equal stage and we can make it happen. You got both these championships happening out East. Why can't we have all of them happen at Scotiabank Center? Why can't we put both the men and the women on the biggest stage? Another thing I want to say, I got a bone to pick with you sports because you can't be scheduling the men's and women's national championship game at the same time. You can't do that. That was crazy. That That's was crazy. crazy. That's I, crazy. I looked at the slides and I swiped back and forth and I was like, maybe there's a type. I was like, maybe it's five, you know, uh, Maritimes time. You know what I mean? 
But no, it was literally at the same time. And what blew my mind more is that, like, you have Carlton playing the women's final and the men's final. What are the people at Carlton going to do? Like, who are they? Like, you're splitting up a fan base for what? Because you couldn't push a game an hour back or an hour ahead. And it's just so, it just doesn't make any sense at all. This would never happen anywhere. If there's two finals happening in the same league, you're not going to put them at the same time. It's ridiculous. And honestly, it's just a slap in the face to just fans of Carlton as well, too. Because if I went to Carlton, I want to watch both games. What am I going to do? You know what I mean? Exactly. I agree with you. And I say this, this is what I was saying after the game. I said, no matter which game you chose to watch, you missed out. Because the reality is this. If you chose to watch the men's game, then you missed one hell of a women's final that featured a comeback, that featured a good ending. You missed that. What You missed one hell of a final. And then if you watch the women's game, then vice versa. You missed, you missed arguably the greatest youth sports game of all time. Like, seriously. So no matter which game you chose to watch, you missed out on something. And so I just think you can't make fans choose. You can't make fans choose. You can't just assume. Because when you do that, you're assuming that people only care about one or the other. What about people that care about both? Which is most people. <laughs> which is most people. Seriously. Right. I don't want to have to, you know, have the men's game on one screen and the women's game on one screen and have to give 50 percent of my attention to one and 50 percent of my attention to the other. I want to give both of them 100 percent of my attention. So you sports don't do that again. Don't do that again. Seriously. I'm moving rude now. I'm moving rude now. I'm talking like <laughs> talking like my, my Jamaican grandma. <laughs> don't do that again. <laughs> now nah, they need pages. They need pages. I'm not going to lie, because that's Seriously. crazy. Seriously. Nah, nah, nah. Seriously. So. Daniel, let's put a wrap on this episode. Let's put a wrap on this episode and let people know that this is actually the first episode of a two-episode series that we're doing right now to conclude the season. All right? So, hope you enjoyed this episode. But now, you got to switch over to episode two to hear us talk about the actual championship games. This is Deshaun Stevens, Daniel Noel, signing off from the first of two episodes to conclude the Ball Up podcast season. Peace and blessings always.